thinking about it a little more um, regarding this evening. Um, really, the work that Jesus has left us to do is to make disciples. I, I realize we have a higher purpose that all that we do is to the glory of God and it's for him. And, um, you know, there's all, all sorts of ways we can think about the work that, that God has given us to do. But when it comes to, um, to the commission, to the work that Jesus has spelled out for us to do, we find it in, in Matthew 28. And um, have you, you read that passage yet? You didn't know? That's fine. So we'll read it together. Matthew 28, verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These words won't be new to you. They're certainly not new to the church. We've been talking about this commission, this work that Jesus has given us to do since then. And um, it's not our role to make converts. It is to make disciples to bring people from where they are to a place where they not only find but also follow Jesus. It is our job to pray to that end. It's our job to show the love of God so that people can see the reality of what God is like. It is our job to tell people and explain the gospel when the time is right. But I'd like to think about this tonight, not only in the way that we make disciples, but the way that we are disciples, because we never stop being disciples ourselves. So um, I kind of have that two sides of the coin thought going on in my mind uh, as to what a disciple is, and therefore the people that we should be and aspire to be, but also the work that is given to do in, in seeking to draw others to Christ. What are we really asking someone to do when we ask them to become a disciple of Jesus? Well, one of the things we're asking them to do is to relinquish, to give up things. Um, Jesus said, if any man would come to me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow. Jesus sometimes, I don't know if saying the word nervous is right, but it seemed like maybe ill at ease is a better way of putting it, when he had big crowds around him especially those who seem to be there for the entertainment and the miracles and the stories. And he would say some of these hard truths about what it meant to be his disciple. That there is a sense of relinquishing, of denying ourselves and coming after him and putting him first. And we see it in the calling of um, his own disciples who would come and follow him as he uh, met the fishermen. Um, it says in... Luke chapter 6, oh, I can hardly read that, Luke chapter 5 rather, yeah, of course. So they pulled this, sorry, they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. There and then they made that decision that they would leave their boats behind, leave their nets, leave their lives and go after Jesus. It's quite a thing, isn't it? 
Jesus has sent us into the world to try and reach other people for him. And part of that message is not add Jesus into your life so you've got something worthwhile to do on a Sunday evening, but to actually start giving up other things in life so that Christ can be Lord. That's not an easy message to take to the world. And sometimes the church has shied away from that. Sometimes the church has gone with a come to Jesus, have your sins forgiven, and one day you have a home in heaven message. But Jesus said, make disciples and be disciples. And that starts with relinquishing. We're inviting people to come and let go of other stuff so that Christ comes first. And I love that when disciples had an experience of Jesus, they did that without question. Maybe one of the things we need to do as we share Christ is to really try and show Christ to people so that they're not thinking as so many do, oh, it means stopping doing stuff to follow him. I don't think the main thought in the disciples' minds that day was, oh, no, I've got to leave my book behind. It was, wow, I get to follow Jesus, and look what he's just done. Look who he is. Part of our role as churches, part of our role as Christians, is the showing of Jesus to people. Jesus is attractive. He's worth giving up everything for. It's just a lot of people don't realize that. And so we need to encourage people to see who Jesus is. And then the idea of leaving everything and following him makes a lot more sense. Secondly, I was thinking about the relationship side of a disciple with uh, a rabbi. When a rabbi called a disciple to follow him, which would have happened, and there was a process through school, I haven't got time to go into it all now, but gradually children, you know, would, the, the lads would be in school up to a certain age, and they would be learning the, the scripture by heart, learning their early schooling, but as they got older, basically, more and more would drop out until the, the, the elite of students were left. And, and at that stage, a rabbi may see in a young man somebody who has the potential to be a disciple of him. And he would issue them that invitation, follow me, follow me, come after me. I'll be your teacher and you give up your home now. The next step for you is that you come not only to learn how I interpret this book and how I think of God, but to, to follow me so closely that you start to become like me, near me. And there, there was a saying, may the dust of your rabbi be upon you. In other words, may you follow him so closely that you get his dust upon yourself that he kicks up. And so there was a real sense of leaving family and everything else in order to be close to a rabbi, to follow him. And in that relationship, I thought of three things that sort of s struck me about the way that Jesus um, handled his, his own disciples. Um, if you have a Bible, it's worth just looking at John, the early chapters of John for a moment. So in John chapter 2 starts with the changing of water to wine, a famous story which happened at Cana in Galilee. And there in verse 12, um, well it says, sorry, in verse 11, his disciples put their faith in him having seen uh, who he was. In verse 12, 
After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brother and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. So Jesus went with family, but took his disciples now as part of the family and spent a few days with them. And when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up all the way to Jerusalem, um, to the the temple. And then in chapter 3, verse 22, Jesus um, spends time there. He meets Nicodemus. We know that story. And in verse 22... Um, of John 3. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. And then in in chapter 4, Jesus then goes through Samaria where he meets the woman at the well. And by chapter 4, verse 43, after the two days, he left Galilee. So Jesus is traveling. As the crow flies, I reckon this isn't exactly scientific, but if you put a ruler and use the scale in your Bible, um, it it comes up roughly um, walking from Capernaum to Jerusalem is about 80 miles as the crow flies. Okay? And then they went back so that's 160. Now, by the time you go up, go down and around a few bends as well, I'm guessing, I don't, you know, this is a bit scientific but here, but it could well have been 200-mile round trip. And during that trip, he took them aside to do what? Spend time with them. He walked about 200 miles with them and felt it was necessary to stop off in those little connecting verses in between the big stories that we know so well to spend some time with them. Jesus just spent loads of time. He is the most important person that will ever walk on this earth. And of his mere 33 years he spent here, three of them really stand out as being significant, don't they, in their importance. And in those brief three years that the Son of God really has his life, you know, out in the public ministry and everything else, he spends loads of it with just 11 people. Or 12 people, one of which, of course, wouldn't. Um, stick the stick the doors. So he invested heavily. In fact, out of the eleven, he spent a lot of his time with three, uh, and out of the three, he spent even more time with just Peter, preparing him to lead the early church. Jesus spent time with people, despite the importance of his life and the thousands he preached to, and all that he would do and say. He was prepared to stop what he was doing to go and spend time discipling other people. Which for us, as we think about two sides of the coin tonight, one, it's a challenge to me as to how much time I spend with Jesus. Um, If Jesus could take time out of his life to spend with disciples as a follower, how much time do we spend with him? The old hymn says, doesn't it? Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. To be with him. Be close to him. Holy time. Do you, as a disciple, spend time with Jesus? Would you consider that, you know, kind of lifestyle, walking hundreds of miles and then taking some time? You know, it it, it was the priority for Jesus. And when we are seeking to make disciples, I guess one lesson here is it's going to take time. 
if we're going to help others find Jesus and follow Jesus, we're going to have to spend time with people. If the Lord had to, with his own disciples, to build them up, then we can expect that as well in this work of making disciples, that we would spend time with people to introduce with Jesus, introduce them to Jesus. Uh, the second thing on, on relationship, which is really obvious as we think about the rabbi and the student, is the teaching, that the student would be there to learn um, the teaching from, from Jesus. And of course, this was a major thing when we, we find uh, the Lord Jesus with his own disciples. In Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, it begins like this. When he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying. So there were crowds, and people heard, but his disciples were there, and he sat and he taught them the Sermon on the Mount. But until we get to the other end of his life, um, we find in John's Gospel, um, such a significant book, and four chapters of it are, are there at the end of his life, around the time of the Lord's Supper, when the Lord just sits and teaches them. And time and time again, something would happen, like Jesus would tell the parable of the sower, and the disciples would come to him and say, Lord, what does that mean? And he would stop and explain everything to them, Scripture says. Again and again, the Lord took moments to, to be teaching moments, to show them, to help them understand, to keep them growing. When he, uh, it, I think it's Mark, yeah, Mark 4.34, when he was alone with his disciples, it says, he explained everything. He spent time teaching, helping them learn. And for us, again, we look at both sides of the coin. We need to keep learning, to, to keep time with Jesus if we want to be disciples of his, to be with him in his word. But also, when we are thinking of making disciples, what did the commission say? And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Part of it, wrapped right up in there, is that we are with people that we are trying to introduce to Jesus and help to follow Jesus. And we are helping them by bringing them to God's word. Helping them understand it. Teaching them how to read it. How to study it how to meditate on it, how to learn it. And so it's true both ways once again, that as disciples and as people who are trying to make disciples and obey that great commission, we are involved in teaching. And as churches, we've got to work out how to do that, um, where it is that we can teach and help and see people grow in their knowledge of the word. And thirdly, in this relationship, there was training. Training. Not only did Jesus spend time with his disciples and teach them the theory of what it was to be a Christian, to, to follow the Lord, but he also was very practical. Um, if you're still in John's Gospel, uh, it's interesting that chapter 4 begins like this. John chapter 4, verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, 
but his disciples. It's easy. I, I love these little connecting verses in the gospel. They tell us so much, don't they? Um, it, it, you know, little details here that show it wasn't Jesus doing everything. Actually, he put his disciples to work. He put his disciples doing things. Um, in Matthew chapter 10, we find... Um, this is one of the accounts of Jesus sending out, uh, on this occasion, the twelve. He called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And in verse 5, these twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. We haven't got to read the instructions tonight, but you gave them, get the idea. They weren't just doing a theory paper. They were learning on the job. They were involved in baptizing. They were involved in mission. They were serving. Um, uh, uh, and they found ways of, of using their gifts and ability for the Lord. And again, as we are disciples, it is important for us, I believe, to know our own gifts and abilities, to be able to um, tr uh, sort of train and serve within church and within ministry um, and to serve others around us, but also in the work of making disciples, that we understand we've got to give people opportunity to serve. Um, I love that verse in Ephesians 4 verse 12, where it talks about enabling God's people. So for those in leadership, and I, I try and keep this challenge with me all the time, to keep my eyes open to notice people around me who maybe have gifts and abilities and time and keen to help, and then give them a chance. Give them a rose. Hey, hey, do you fancy helping on this thing? Do you help, fancy helping with that? Or I've noticed you're really good at, at this. Um, could we do something with that? I'm not saying I'm always good at it. Um, I, I've got this annoying personality thing where I often think it's easier to run around and do everything myself than I have to explain it three times. But I shouldn't be like that. I know I've always been like that since I was on the farm and things as well. Is it, 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 but what I'm trying to learn always to do is to enable God's people. Instead of me doing it, how about I give somebody else the opportunity to serve? To find the joy of of discovering their, their gifts, not to worry if they fail, to be there to pick them up and say, don't worry, try again. <laughs> we'll go again, we'll do it together, we'll do it differently. And to understand for us as well that, that our experience with God, even those of us that have been knocking around trying to serve God for a number of years, um, we, we can still keep training. We can still keep moving on learning more maybe moving i think it's from a, a really i wasn't going to share this but I, it just comes to mind that from a really early age in my christian walk probably for a late teen i became really excited about the idea when i understood about the gifts that god gives to us and how exciting and thrilling it is to find something that god's given you to do and do it and suddenly find that god works through you to to be able to think oh that, that worked. That was fruitful. That was good. Uh, and it wasn't like a horrible strain on me because I'm doing what God's given me to do. Um, I'm not sort of a, a square peg in a round hole sort of thing. I've, I've found something that I can do for the Lord. And I became excited in that. And I've always encouraged people to know their gifts, to, to discover them, to train, to try and find things that you're, you're happy with 
uh, working for the Lord. Um, but something I sort of had to challenge myself with is not to get completely stuck in a groove then. To think, right, I know what I can do, and I, you know, I'm blinkered now that that's all I do. Um, T.D. Jakes, if you ever heard him speak, the, his, his voice is about four octaves below me. He's a, uh, a bishop in a big black man in um, uh, the southern United States who speaks down right low sort of thing. It, um, I won't do my impression. I'll tell you that tonight. But, um, yeah, plus the fact you're not all on your finish shouting back at me while I preach, so it's nothing like um, his church in a lot of ways. But, um, <laughs> but he did say this. He said this, describe yourself with a comma, not a full stop. I thought that was really good. Describe yourself with a comma, not a full stop. Don't just say, right, I've arrived, that's it. The Lord just kept training his disciples, kept moving them on, kept giving them things to do uh, and challenging them. And um, so both ways, let's flip the coin again. We, we are encouraged ourselves to train, to learn, to keep moving on, uh, to serve the Lord. Um, but then to think about those who are coming to faith uh, and those who have found Christ to give them opportunities to define the joy of serving him. And so the relationship of the, which actually out of the, these points, don't worry, that was a long one. Um, but now I'm here, I might as well make the most of it, I suppose, yeah. yeah so <laughs> get my money's worth if I did get caught speeding on the way. Um, so, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so when we're making a disciple, we're asking them to re relinquish. Secondly, we're thinking about relationship, their relationship with the Lord, but also our relationship with them to help them find the Lord. And the time that we invest, the way we teach them, the way we train and help them move along. Um, thirdly, there's a sense in which the life of the student, as he followed the rabbi, was remodeled. That the idea of the student wasn't just to learn the theory or even train alongside, but that there would actually be such closeness between a rabbi and a student that the student became like his teacher, like his master. And we, of course, are called to this. When you're calling somebody to be a disciple of Jesus, you are actually asking them to change. You're actually asking them to be the best version of their self they can be. As somebody who was created in the image of God, who has fallen because of sin, but now we are calling them to a life where the Holy Spirit works in them to make them like Jesus in ever-increasing glory, transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory as uh, is it 1 or 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18 says. That's what we're calling people. It's not a little thing, is it, when we're sent out to make disciples. Um, we're, we're not just sort of preaching the gospel and hoping that um, someone turns up and hears. We are called to make disciples, people who will relinquish their old lives, get into a relationship with Jesus Christ to such an extent that they start to become like him. That's something, isn't it, in this world? So many people think of Christianity like it's almost a hobby, or you say to them about, are you a Christian? And they say, well, I go to church sometimes. That, that's not what we're about, is it? When we're called to make disciples. 
We are calling people to find that restored image of themselves, the best version of themselves they can be. There's one, I mean, these young people might have heard of it, this old term that is around of influencers. Have you heard this recently? And um, people that are on, that with their own channels on YouTube and various things, and they actually describe themselves as an influencer, which makes me kind of nervous, if I'm honest because I don't know who these people are, and, and I don't know what they believe or what their morals are or how much integrity they've got. Maybe some of them are wonderful people. I don't know. It's not something that I, I listen to, but it is a, a real term now, and you hear it occasionally on the news and things. People talk about so-and-so who is an influencer. In other words, loads of people are following them on social media. Uh, and listening to what they say so that their lives are influenced by this person's thought. Hey, to encourage you at Great Parts tonight, we've got the best influencer of all. He's called the Holy Spirit. And his work is to influence our lives into becoming like Christ. That's the goal. I don't know what these guys on social media and these young ladies and things, uh, uh, what, they're what their goal is, what their aim is. But I know what the Spirit's aim is. It's to make you like Jesus. And to involve us in a work where we encourage other people to be like Jesus as well. This is work that we're involved in. Yeah, and it just even saying this now, I think, wow, what a work the Lord called us to. What a commission he gave us. And lastly, we'll finish here. As well as that, we've got the word repeat. Repeat. So Jesus said that to his disciples... Go and make disciples. Go and make. And what do you think he wanted those disciples to do? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Um, this is my own version. I don't normally write my own version of scripture, but I just sort of paraphrase 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. Easy um, reference to remember. What you have learned from me, writes Paul, tell others who can tell others who can tell others who can tell others. Do you want me to read the proper one? Maybe I should, rather than, <laughs> rather than just make up my own. But you'll get the drift. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, or 1 starts like this. You, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So I'm kind of right, aren't I? Teach others who can teach others who can teach others who can teach others. In other words, as disciples, as we make disciples, part of what we want them to do is what? Make disciples. And, and they can help teach and train and spend time with others. Who can go and make disciples? As the old song says, one shall tell another and he shall tell his friend. Uh, and that's what we're about. That we will be aiming to bring people to Christ who are so thrilled with Jesus that it becomes their commission and their goal and their mission to go and to make disciples of their own to tell other people. I know some people don't like big American super churches things, and um, but I did find a, a, a little line that I've always found useful from Willow Creek, one of the, the big churches in America. And their sort of vision statement was this, to turn irreligious people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That, that's what they were about. Reaching people who are uh, and I'm not that keen on irreligious because other people might have different religions as well. I didn't think that was the best word they chose. But people who had no Christian faith and turn them into fully devoted followers of Christ. 
people who are in relationship with him, having their lives live so close to him that they start to be like him. People who are then repeating that and telling others, and they can tell their friends. It works. It works. When disciples make disciples who make disciples, it works. Jesus spent most of his time with 11 people. And by the time you get to the middle of the book of Acts, they've turned the world upside down. Because they went and they told others who told others. And the gospel spread like wildfire. And they didn't go have measures. They didn't go gently, gently. They told people to relinquish their lives and what they held dear and to come after Christ. And people caught this vision of Christ, of who he is, and the wonder of what Jesus had done. And they followed him. And they lived with him, and they loved him, and they worshipped him, and they told others about him. And so, putting this all together tonight, our commission is huge. You know, there's people just out there, a few yards away from us, who are irreligious people. And our goal is to make disciples of them, to where their lives are utterly transformed. But we're not alone. It is ultimately the work of the Spirit that does it. So we need to pray, we need to serve, we need to show the love of God, and we need to explain to people the truth of Jesus Christ. And it is a process, for your encouragement, um, it is a process, it takes time to move people from there to there, um, and some of what we do is moving them from there to there, <laughs> and then from there to there, and, and even after they become Christians, to move them on, and move them on teaching and training, spending time with them to help them grow. It takes time, but it is the work God has given us to do, and we mustn't lose sight of it. So be disciples, make disciples, and may God bless you. Thank you. Shall I pray?